Welcome to the Parent Guide to GCSE podcast. This is episode number six, and today we're talking to Paul Wilson from ahappyhead.co.uk about how to help your child get out of their own way. Hi, and welcome to the Parent Guide to GCSE podcast. Today we are talking with Paul Wilson. Paul, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself so we know what we're in for? <laughs> That's a very good question. So I am a remedial hypnotist, which means I unstick people's minds. Yeah, people get in front of themselves, get in their own way, that kind of stuff. I help them clear the baggage, the wreckage, the hurdles, get it out of the way. I've been doing it for oh, a couple of years now after spending 25 years at the Channel Tunnel in a variety of roles. And ironically, on my 25th anniversary, I decided that I need to have a change. And I left and spent all of 2018 having the most amazing time. I did everything from taking a personal trainer, lose some fat, put some muscle on, did a 15-week stand-up comedy course with two live gigs, did a social dynamics course, and fell in love with a process of hypnosis, hypnotism, hypnotherapy, whatever you want to call it, that gets amazing results with uh, my clients. And it's what I do now. It's my thing. I just love being able to help people get the result that they're after. Wow. Well, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot I want to ask about in that. Goodness. Um, Go for it. <laughs> where to begin? Um, oh, go on. I'm going to start with the, uh, the stand-up comedy because that was recommended as a, as a way of, can't even remember where I was listening to it, um, somebody was talking about it was a great way to get over the fear of rejection, particularly if you're selling stuff, because if you can cope with stand up comedy and you can kind of overcome those those hurdles, that level of terror that I think most of us would face standing up on stage, then you can pretty much do anything without without that fear of rejection hanging over you. Is that does that sound about right? Uh, it is an amazing experience. Um People talk about stepping out of their comfort zones, and I completely disagree with that because if you think about it, if you step out of a room, you leave the room and you have to kind of go back in again. Whereas if you expand your comfort zone, you're bringing in new stuff, which makes things easy for you to do. And stand-up comedy is brilliant for all kinds of, um, if you're an introvert, if you're the shy kind of person, if you don't want to do public speaking, if you want to get out of your own way, if you just want to learn new stuff. I work with a guy called Logan Murray who writes for TV and the movies, been a stand-up comedian for donkey's years, and based in London, has this course. And it was fabulous. There was 15 of us on the course from a whole variety of backgrounds from a couple of school teachers to a guy who was desperate to become a TV personality, a lady who was just qualified as anthropologist, and little old me. And it was great fun. And actually doing the gig itself, it's, it's only five minutes, but it's, it, can, it feels like a very long five minutes, a second before you step onto the stage when Paul kind of introduced, or Logan kind of introduced you. Then you step on the stage and it just goes by like a shot. It was so much fun. I mean, I had hecklers and we have this banter backwards and forwards. And I would thoroughly recommend it for anyone who feels that they need to do something to, to get out of themselves a little bit. It's brilliant and really, really strongly recommend doing some kind of stand-up comedy. 
I love the idea of two teachers being there uh, in a stand-up comedy um, class. Basically me in the classroom. I had hecklers. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. One of the teachers was thinking of moving out of teaching. I mean, she was getting close to retirement and wanted to do something else. And the other teacher was moving into a kind of management role where she would have to do lots of, I'm guessing, um, presentations in front of her peers and senior directors, that kind of thing. And she needed some kind of oomph to be able to go and do that without freaking out and running out of the room every time she did a presentation. And she did really well. She really loved it. So obviously that's a a massive change in terms of career to suddenly go from, I've I've worked for the the same people for 25 years to I'm going to do an entirely new thing on my own. How have you found that? Yeah. It has been a hell of a challenge, to be perfectly frank with you, but I don't regret one second of it. Yeah, I came away from um, a regular salary, whether I attend it for work or not, pretty much, and my days were routine, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five-ish, and weekends off and all that kind of stuff, but cutting the cord was the best thing I have ever done. I wouldn't have done the stand-up comedy course. I wouldn't have done the social dynamics training. I wouldn't have learned hypnosis. And I have met such a huge range of amazing people in the past, what, couple of years since I've left uh, the Channel Tunnel, that my life has taken a completely new turn compared to what it was pre-departure, if we can use that kind of phrase. So, (laughs) yeah, it's challenging. I mean, financially, I am challenged because... I work for myself now, so if clients aren't coming in, I ain't getting paid. So I am constantly working on my business to promote what I do and bring new potential clients in. So that bit is scary, but the rest of it is absolutely brilliant. I love working with clients on a one-to-one basis. I love being able to sort of, like yesterday, I went up to Ashford to go on a radio show, um, and I was given like sort of 12 hours notice I was able to just sort my day out and change things around and go and do it when you're an employee you don't have that flexibility and the biggest thing for me is not having a boss because to be fair you know you can pretty much agree things with your boss most of the time but I'm sure you guys would agree there are times when your boss says do this and you think it's not a good idea, you have a discussion, but your boss still says, do this, and you have to go and do it. Well, for me, that doesn't exist anymore. Well, I would say that for me, that doesn't exist anymore, but for Paul, he might disagree. I possibly have a boss and a wife all in the same person. It's it's (laughs) a scary thought. What do you mean, possibly? Well, all right, yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Guilty. Ah, well, it works. It works. Um, So... One of the things that I think um, our our listeners are probably interested in is how to help their children get out of their own way. So you said that a lot of what you do with your your hypnotherapy is helping people to get out of their own way when they're trying to achieve a goal, whether that be in, in business or in life. So if we're talking about students who are perhaps procrastinating slightly when they should be revising or something along those lines have you got any tips any advice anything to try yeah well i don't like that word try so we'll just ditch that i'll explain that why in a minute the first thing i would suggest is we reduce any and all pressure on the student on on our son on our daughter yeah and then the next thing we need to do is to find out 
the reason why they are procrastinating. Do they not like the subject in hand? Do they not know enough? Are they not clear on the instructions they were given for the homework or essay, whatever? There's always a reason why we we procrastinate because procrastination is there to kind of help us in a way it's there to help us stop doing certain things now, it sounds a bit counterproductive but that's what procrastination does it's about sort of the long-term benefits of doing something via v or as against the instant gratification so let me give you an example say you want to lose weight you want to lose a stone so you said to yourself, right, I want to lose weight. I'm going to lose a stone. So tomorrow morning at seven o'clock, I'm going to get my shoes on. I'm going to go for a run. Yeah. Tomorrow morning comes, it's quarter to seven. Your alarm goes off. You get up, you look outside, you go, oh, it's raining. I don't really want to go outside. I'll start tomorrow. Yep. And then you get up and you have, uh, you go to work and you have a big cup of coffee and you have a, a bagel or a muffin. Well, it's okay. I'm going to start the exercise tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we never get round to doing the exercise because we haven't given ourselves a big enough why to do it now because there's, there's no instant gratification. I'll get cold and I'll get wet. I'll be uncomfortable. I might be in a bit of pain. I don't want that. So what we need to do is to try and bring, there's that what try again, we need to bring the delayed or later benefits closer to us. And one way of doing that is to, using the exercise analogy, it gives ourselves a bit of reward. Okay, look, if I get up tomorrow morning at seven o'clock and go for a run for 20 minutes, I will allow myself to have a small piece of chocolate. And then you've got this thing called this chemical in your brain called dopamine, which has a humongous amount of important roles. I just want to focus on one area. If we achieve a task and we get satisfaction from it, the dopamine goes, oh, I like that. Let's have some more. And so if you give yourself small tasks to do, like, okay, get up at seven, do the run, get yourself a bit of a reward. Mm, like that, let's do that tomorrow so I can have a reward again. And we do this over and over and over again. And it becomes habit because our brain starts to enjoy what we're doing. So um, if a student has a massive project, which could take, I don't know, a weekend to complete one of these big school uh, term projects, and the child just isn't doing it, the, the reason, my guess would be, is it's just too big. It's too well, big. They, they can't get their head around it. Yeah, they just don't know where to start. They don't know how to tackle it. It's just too big a challenge. So they sit down with the best intent in the world to start on this thing. They've got the bits of paper and the pens and the computer, and then nothing happens because it's just too big. So where parents can help is to show the student that, we can break this big project down into much, much, much smaller sizes. So for example, um, a really silly example, say you've got a map of the world, which is blank, and you've got to put in the countries in, and it's gonna take three or four hours to complete. As a parent, you can say, well, look, why don't we just do the UK for now, and then you can take a break, go on the phone or go and play with your friends or whatever. And then, you know, this afternoon we can work on Europe, and then maybe tomorrow morning we could do um, Indonesia. That's, do you see what I'm getting at? So rather than having to do the whole globe in one hit, which is just too big a task, we break it down into smaller chunks, which are relatively easy to, to sort out. Yeah. Does that make sense? And we, we've talked a lot about um, 
revision plans and making it sort of structured enough to know you know there's no barriers there you know what you should be doing and when you should be doing it rather than uh, I mean Emily talks about maths maths is a huge topic so if you've just got maths written on your revision plan it doesn't mean anything it's got to be uh, one of the the subtopics that you can actually then sit down and say well actually today I'm going to cover integers or um, graphs or whatever so a lot of what we've done recently we just uh, recorded a masterclass as well which um, that talks a lot about the why they're doing it not you know you must do it it's you know showing them the the end game what can happen if they work hard and um, how their future can look yeah we've uh, totally agree about the whole when a project is really big it just seems so overwhelming to begin with that you you tend to not start so breaking it down into little chunks is, is basically what we do with our revision plans is break it down into for half an hour here you're going to do this because it also takes away the decision part of the process so it's not like you have a choice and you have to decide which of the topics you're going to do it's the thing that's written down in front of you you've got to get on with that which i find certainly takes away a bit of the pressure and and the the tendency to procrastinate there because <laughs> uh, i do tend to procrastinate um, and we talk a lot about little rewards as well so um it's worth mentioning though the the whole dopamine thing is that not one of the reasons why we're all slightly addicted to our social media because you get that little oh i've got a notification little ding and that means somebody's paying attention to me and that's my little rush of dopamine there kind of but it, but it's to me it's a different thing because you don't you're not actually doing anything to get the little ding and that to me is a difference because with what i'm talking about is you do a small section of the work and you get a reward for completing the work so the brain saying oh if i do this i get that that, that to me is the difference between what social, happens on social media because social media you can get ding 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 dings all the time doing absolutely nothing and that becomes boring after a while it becomes a, an obligation uh, whereas when you're looking at sort of revision plans and a reward based on successful completion of a segment shall we say that's different that's saying i've just done this i've just completed a, a half hour of my homework that's one half hour less to get this thing sorted out. And now I can go out and, you know, play football or watch TV or go on my um, PlayStation for an hour. Yeah. And this is where the brain, where we can use the, our brain, the way it's built to actually stimulate the, 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 the work. Because kids, young people love structure. They need structure. A lot of children that have behavioral challenges come from families where, where there is no structure there is no you will be home by five o'clock or you will get punished kind of thing it's just they do whatever they like and they kind of you know we've all heard the phrase of that child runs wild so the child has no boundaries has no structure so they're, they're bouncing around looking for structure so having your revision plan is a great idea provided each segment of the revision plan gives me a bit of a reward for completing that segment as towards achieving the, the the whole yeah it's um it's about finding the the right reward then to to make sure that you can do that for yourself and uh, yeah it's, uh, it's i think that's what sometimes we found that our <coughs> parents are, are saying they're struggling with is it's 
kind of what reward to go with but something small enough that it's not you know I can now spend two hours watching a movie and then that's the rest of the evening gone but it's uh, not expensive as well because a lot for a lot of parents that's then um, prohibitive you can't you can't do that you can't justify all the way through their revision I understand have you talked about a point system so for again i'm just giving you a very wild example let's say a completed project is worth a thousand points just for round numbers and um, we've got 10 segments so that's a uh, hundred points per segment or if you've got 20 segments that's 50 points per segment what you can then suggest is that yes if you want the big thing for your birthday or whatever and presumably the parents can afford it that is worth your that was going to cost five thousand points so five different subjects to be completed and what the child then sees is that every time they complete a topic or a segment of their revision plan they're getting 50 points so rather than saying it's two hours um now let me rephrase that you could say right watching a two-hour movie is going to cost you a hundred points now if i want that brand new game for my PlayStation, and that's going to cost me 750 points. Do I really want to spend a hundred of the points I've earned watching a movie for two hours? So you're giving the it. child the choice, you know, right, there's 50 points for that completed um, segment. You can spend those 50 points how you want, and then you have an agreed list between parent and child of what amount of points gets what reward. I like the idea. It's, um, it's not something that we've really thought about before in terms of suggesting a points-based system and rewards. I mean, rewards is something we do talk about a lot, but the actual adding up and seeing the uh, what you can get towards the end. But I can see how that would be a really useful way to start structuring things for a teenager that they would then take into their adult life. Because there are a lot of adults, in fact, pretty much every adult, <laughs> has big projects that they put off doing because it feels like it's going to be a, a gigantic task and so you i don't know you have a you have to do your tax return so you decide it's really vitally important that you tidy your desk first <laughs> absolutely yeah mm. and and so on so i can see that 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 has that has legs as we would say yeah, yeah. Well, well, it comes back I'm first, sorry, it comes you can procrastinate later <laughs> yeah but it comes to what you were saying, Emily, about parents not being able to afford lots of rewards. I wasn't talking about anything really expensive. But mm. having said that, if a child is coming up to a big stage in their life, say, for example, the GCSEs, the classic one, and they've got eight subjects to, to work on, you could have a total of 10,000 points. And that could be you will take them away for a week or it could be a new thing but that's that that's for the ten thousand points however you can break that down further to say 50 points is an hour on tv or 100 points is you can spend two hours on your your game station your playstation thing and it's between the important thing is that the the child and the parent have to agree on a what the if i save all my points up can i have this and b if i want to spend bits of my points what can i use them against and what you know how much is two hours tv going to cost me or two hours on a playstation or going around my mate's house 
and that way you have an agreed structure between the child and the parent about how they're allowed to spend their points. Now, I was it comes against the delayed gratification because if I want that brand new PlayStation that's coming out in uh, August, it means that I don't want to spend any of my points. I'm going to maybe do a few more bits of homework or I'm going to do some extra revision or whatever because I really want those 10,000 points to go towards that big thing. Or you may have another child that goes, well, yeah, I don't really want the big thing because it's only one version. Up, I'd rather spend my points in bits and pieces. But that way it becomes, the child becomes responsible for the, the spending of their points. And the parent has the comfort of knowing that the 10,000 points is worth a maximum of, say, I don't know, 200 pounds to give another round figure. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really good way of taking the monetary value out, but still teach the student how to take responsibility for the distribution of those points. Hmm. Yeah, because like that does make a massive difference as you go further down the line. With, um, the, it's the difference, I guess, between internal motivation and external motivation and and beginning to take it more as a as an internal thing rather than a, something we get told a lot is parents are finding they're having to just nag their child because for whatever reason as we said the the child isn't isn't starting to do the revision isn't doing what is required even if that's just a little bit it doesn't need to be four hours of revision a night because that doesn't do anyone any good but if if it's coming from the parent nagging then that just causes conflict constantly between parent and child whereas if it's a system that the child can take responsibility for like the point system that then i don't know removes some of the the friction there i guess and i think that the main sorry um i think the biggest thing the parent needs to find out and with the child is what is stopping them from doing the revision that is necessary even if it's an hour or half an hour if they're still procrastinating there must be a reason and taking math as an example maybe they're struggling and they don't want to tell you they're struggling maybe they don't understand the segment that they've got to cover over the next week perhaps they've been told by someone that they're never going to get it because they're just looking at it from the wrong perspective we need to have that discussion because procrastination is there for a reason like I said to you, you've got instant gratification as opposed to longer term benefits. But in between that, there are also other reasons why we procrastinate. And the biggest one is it's too big or we don't know what we're supposed to be doing and we don't understand clearly. Yeah, and, and I guess when they doubt their ability to be able to do it as well, we, we find there's some avoidance sometimes if you're if you don't think you're going to be able to succeed at something we are kind of pre-programmed aren't we to avoid doing it because then you don't absolutely you can't do it to yourself so a kind of imposter syndrome yeah um i've been told i can't do it therefore i'm too you see sort of like the vernacular that i was sort of brought up in you're too thick you're too dim you're never going to get it you're just too slow and all the rest of it and you only need to be told that once to have the doubt put in your mind that actually I can't do this because I can't get it and if you can't actually get it that makes it even worse particularly if you don't have a brilliant relationship with your parents where you mentioned the word nagging where you know if you have been procrastinating and you've not been able to explain to your parents why 
you're procrastinating because you don't understand, you don't know how to explain to them you don't understand, it can, it can create a very sort of tense situation. So in a way, it's down to the parent to find a way to have that discussion if a child is procrastinating, not to say you must do your homework, you must do your homework, you're going to get good grades and all that kind of thing. Just ask a series of questions, you know, do you enjoy the subject? Is it a bit of the subject that you're finding challenging? Do you think you don't understand it? Is it because you only got a, you got a, a B or a C last year and you think you're going to do worse this year? Is it because your report doesn't reflect your abilities? There could be a million reasons why we're procrastinating over not sort of starting the revision leading up to exams. And I think we need to delve a little bit deeper rather than nag to find out what is actually going on, what is the real reason. Because if you can discover that real reason and you can then turn that around and say, actually, no, you are able to do this, because look at your report from last year. It says you're, you know, really capable with uh, working with algebra, for example, and you got really good marks last year, but it seems that you've sort of forgotten that. Is that the case? And just to sort of work with the, the student, with the, with the son or the daughter to figure out what it is that's stopping them. And once you get over that, you can then instill the kind of positive mindset to say, well, look, you know, do a little bit, do your best. If you don't understand, we can, you know, we can email your teacher, we can get clarification, we can Google it, we can ask my friend who is an X, Y or Z. Because there are ways around <coughs> this of dealing with it without actually... Because sometimes, I mean, I, when I, you know, we, we don't want our parents coming into school. We don't want our parents phoning the teacher because we can't do a particular subject. But these days, using social media in a positive way, we can find someone or we can find the answers, and we, a, a way to help the student get over the particular hurdle they're going through. I mean, if you were um, a parent then, sorry, if you were talking to a child, um, what would you think is the best way of getting them to remove the doubts they have in their own heads? The first thing to do is to discover if they have doubts, if that is the reason why. If that is the reason, if they doubting their abilities, then what we need to do is to find out what makes them think they don't have the ability. Because, you know, we've only been on the planet 14 or 15 years and there's a lot we don't know, but there's a hell of a lot we do know because we're in school all the time. I mean, my kids were much, <coughs> much better developed at math and all sorts of other subjects than I ever was. And to be honest with you, I could actually, they asked me to help with their homework sometimes. And I had to say, look, guys, I'm stuck with this. I'm not able to do it myself. So let's find a way of doing it and being honest about it. I was, I was up to put my, able to put my hand and say, look, you know, Max, I can't do this, but that won't have to stop us. We can figure out a way around it. And that, to me, is one way of doing it. If the child still says, Dad, I can't do it, you know, it's just, it's just not my thing or whatever, okay, let's break it right the way down and go back to basics. You can do this. Yeah, I can do that. And you can do this bit. Yeah, yeah, that's easy. I can do that. Okay, well, this next bit is a combination of the A and B. All we need to do is put them together and then you can do C. It's a, getting the child to understand that they do know the topic. It's just that maybe they're looking at it from a different perspective. Maybe they're taking the, the helicopter view. They're, you know, they're sort of like a thousand meters up 
and they can't see the detail. Whereas if they come down, they're able to see the detail of what it is they need to work on. And then segment by segment, we can work on it together until they do understand. But it's a kind of, how can I put it? A mutual trust, respect for each other, honesty. Because if as a parent, you look at something and you don't know the answer, don't gloss over it. You say, look, <laughs> uh, this is beyond me. And, but we will get it sorted. I will, you know, do some research and I'll find a different way of looking at things. Different countries have different way of looking at math, for example, different solutions, different ways of working things out. Even older, different generations have different ways of doing things. Yeah. So there are, what's the word I'm looking for? There are opportunities to discover different ways of doing things that may actually sort of click in your child's head. They go, oh, yeah, right, I can do it because it's slightly different. But if I do it this way, it works for me. Bit of a convoluted way to say you need to have the discussion with your child and tell them that they are capable of it. We just need to find a different route to getting the answer. So I mean, the, give you an example, um, sorry. The doubt in the head, in the child's head, um, instilling the reward system, that's mm -hmm. going to help put their them in a better place essentially put the child's head in a better place absolutely right and just something came into my head right there i read a post the other day from a professor who would see students staring for ages at a question on on an exam paper and he would say to the student look make a start because staring at it won't answer it but if you make a start even if it's the wrong start, your brain will click into gear and then you'll actually start working on the problem and finding a solution. Whereas if you sit there staring at it and I can't do this, it's too hard, it's too hard, it's too hard, your brain is going, yeah, I agree, it is too hard, we'll forget this question and we'll just sit here for half an hour. But if you start writing things down and looking to figure it out, doing the best you can, your brain will start to help you work on the solution and lead you towards the answer yeah it's, uh, it's something we say about revision as well if they're struggling to know where to start then literally just sit down and do five minutes write up the notes from today's lesson anything because the starting is often the the biggest scariest bit isn't it it's that getting out of bed and putting on your trainers and taking that step outside the front door even though it's raining kind of thing so it's uh, yeah absolutely yeah starting is better than not doing it really is important just to encourage the child to make a start even if it means flipping through a couple of pages to find something that they think they think is, is easy okay well do that one get that one out of the way then just flip back a couple of pages and hit this next one so once they've started um do uh, what do you say to students or well, parents of students about social media the impacts of social media on the child's ability to focus and work hard. Right. Okay. I would strongly suggest that when we are in a revision period, the phone goes in a different room or the tablet or whatever it is goes in a different room. If we need to access the internet to do our work, then we say, right, you've got an hour's work to do as part of your agreed plan, an hour's work on geography, for example. 
you can have 15 minutes to do your research and then I'm coming to take the computer away so that you can focus on then actually sitting and doing the writing. Or there are apps you can buy that will block um, social media apps and, and this kind of thing. And that you can use like a, a passcode to block them, um, which yeah. means that you allow the child to do the work. And at the end of it, maybe they want to spend 50 points uh, by being on TikTok or <coughs> Snapchat for, for an hour. Again, if you make the social media part of the point system, which we discussed, it then leaves the child to think, do I want to spend 50 points on chatting to my mates and sending silly selfies? So social media, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, how do you, I know certainly with ours, um, so we have twins and one of them is, is far more social media-ish than the other. And on the occasions where he'd done something terrible enough to have his phone confiscated for a little bit, he was so worried about losing his Snapchat streaks that he actually gave his Snapchat password to a friend so that they could keep up the streaks for him, which we didn't find out until afterwards. Otherwise, we would obviously have advised against that because that's not the wisest plan with teenage boys. But um, I've forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, but he was he's so addicted i think has got to be the word mm. that having his phone away from him is like you chopped off his arm he he struggles to function is there a kind of a process for making that easier and less yeah, painful restricting access i would say is the big thing um restricting access to particular apps or restricting access to the phone in its entirety talking to your child about the consequences of being on social media over the long term and what i mean by that is if they are posting um silly images okay they are on the internet forever and when they're going to go for a job a lot of employers these days will scan and search for a person on social media before they interview them because Absolutely. when you're working for a company they have their own social image to protect so if you've got um two 18 year olds one who's out every night getting lathered and taking silly pictures of himself and his friends and pasting it all over wherever and you've got another one who does the same thing but leaves his phone at home if all other things being equal, guess which person will get the job? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The one that doesn't have the images on Facebook because the, the, to the employers, how can we trust this person who's got his images all over Facebook to act in a responsible way when she or he is representing our company? So yeah. there are definite long-term consequences to posting inappropriate stuff on on social media and i'm not even talking about um adult rated kind of stuff just silly oh, yeah. pranky yeah. things yeah stupid stuff which is a giggle now but in 10 years time will come back and bite on the backside biggest big style so it's about yeah, i saw a news story oh sorry it's, going, it's okay now i saw a news story the other day uh of 75 um, percent of the bigger companies in this country do uh, an extensive social media search before they'd consider um, giving somebody a job offer 
Yeah. Absolutely, because the social yeah, media is so huge now. Yeah, across all platforms, there are people that are employed to do this now because it's such a critical factor. Companies' reputations can be ruined by some inappropriate photographs with the company logo in the image or the office or something that's recognizable or a person that is recognizable. So they have to protect their image, absolutely. And as a consequence, go on. I was gonna say a large part of the problem with getting this across to your teenager is just, that's not something that's in their, their frame of reference almost. They just, it's not something they've ever experienced. They've not generally at this age had to apply for jobs and deal with that kind of scrutiny almost on their lives and so it's something that you know it's somebody else's problem at the moment mm. future me in 10 years and so getting to actually care enough and think enough about it is the thing is though it's not in 10 years if you were talking about a child who's 15 that's potentially in three years because i'm sure that universities will probably start doing the same thing in the next few years you know yeah. making sure that the applicants don't have or aren't using social media inappropriately. Yes, there was something, um, some offers were rescinded, I think, because of some stuff that was posted mm. on social media. Was mm. it Oxford? Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's one either Oxford or Cambridge. Yeah. Um, it could yeah, well be. Yeah, of... It doesn't surprise me at all. So we need to get the message across. It's like, um, let me give you an, an example. Looking both ways when you cross the road. If you look both ways across, when, before you cross the road, you're highly unlikely to be involved in an accident. If you don't look, then yes, you have the potential to be involved in an accident. And it's the same with social media. If you take care how you use social media, it's highly unlikely that it will come to bite you on the backside in later years. If you don't take care of how you use social media, it will be likely that it could come and bite you back in, in three, four, five years' time. And those th things that you think are funny now will be at best embarrassing, <laughs> at worst stopping you getting a job. Yeah, I think uh, somebody once said to me, yeah, make sure your mum is always your friend on social media because that way you don't post anything that she wouldn't let you put, get away with posting. Hmm. And I think a lot of the time that that's a good frame of reference or, you know, your nan, whoever you need to, to be the social... Hmm kind of sensible person in your life um, just having that frame of reference mm. as you as you post you know should I be doing this will I get in trouble it certainly works <laughs> for me because uh, my mother-in-law is um, <laughs> I'm gonna go with fierce um, but I just want to post something that's you are gonna that's gonna get me in, in bother with her because uh, the telling off would go on and, and yeah. I'll be Behave. in trouble you're already yes, in trouble yeah. you'll hear this <laughs> one idea might trying to get this across is i'm just thinking of a way of getting this across if it cost you a hundred pounds every time you posted something silly on social media would you do it because that is what we're talking about yeah. we're talking about losing money in the longer term yeah if you can't get a job or you can't get the job you want you end up getting a job that you don't want you're going to be miserable. You're going to be probably earning less. Things are going to be more of a challenge for you simply because you weren't sensible enough to use social media in the right kind of way, shall we say? Mm. Yeah. And so again, starting with the kids very, very young and explaining to them the importance and the value to them of using social media appropriately 
I mean, my kids, I've been very lucky. Um, I've not seen anything and they haven't posted. I mean, yes, there are pictures of them, you know, smiling and giggling and being silly, but nothing that I would deem to be inappropriate or, you know, newsworthy, shall we say. And again, I think that stems to parenting, you know, good parenting. Just as when you were young, you wouldn't, as a parent, hopefully go out and come back lathered and, you know, vomit all over your kids and you throw (laughs) things around the house kind of thing. So you, is, that's how we teach responsible, responsible actions by being responsible ourselves. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a new thing to parents in a lot of cases. When we were their age, we didn't have social media. We didn't particularly have you know, phone cameras, which meant that generally everything wasn't documented. You know, all the, the mm. dodgy fashion choices that you made as a teenager... <laughs> aren't archived for the entire world to see whereas now there's so much pressure on everything because everything is is everywhere for the world to see if you go on on instagram and you're you're looking at what your peers are theoretically doing if you take that as an actual this must be what their lives are like i can imagine that's an insane amount of pressure for Mm, a teenager absolutely not something we ever really dealt with well, the thing is, one thing you need to bear in mind is that phone cameras have been popular for more than 20 years now. So there's a lot of history out there from people that are in their 40s, shall we say, that are kind of facing this now because the pictures are being snapped and they may not have been uploadable to social media 20 years ago, but they are now and they have been for the past you know, 10 years or so. Mm. Um, so what was I going to say? I was going to say something. It's just escaped me for a second. Social media isn't all bad. Social media is, is a car. It's a tool. Uh, in the UK, 3,000 people are either killed or injured every single year by, in motor incidents, motor accidents. But we don't ban cars. We're quite happy to jump in a car to go and do the shopping, do the school run, and so on and so forth. Social media is the same. It's a tool and we need to use it we drive responsibly so we need to be using social media responsibly and that goes the same for parents leading my example and to children because i see lots of um adult people adults acting in very immature ways on social media getting involved in pathetically silly arguments throwing abuse left right and center so if they're doing that and they're doing it while they're watching TV and the kids are in the house watching TV as well. And the parent is using some colorful language while they're talking about the conversation they're having online. Yeah. That's not a good example to the child. If, if, if mum can do it, that means I can do it. Yeah, absolutely. So we have, we as parents, we as adults have to accept responsibility. Social media is not new. Social media has been around for a long time now, probably about 20 years. Yes, it's developing. Yes, there are new apps coming on all the time. But the principle of the internet has been around since the mid-90s. And social media and camera phones and all that has been around since not too far long after the the 2000s, after the second millennium started. So it's not an excuse anymore to to parents to say it wasn't like that in my day, unless they're my kind of age. But, you know, I've I've been around social media for a long time now as well. So for most people, we can't justify saying 
I don't know about it. It's there and it's not going anywhere at all. Yeah, it's um, it's just getting your head around the the latest stuff, I suppose. So I've I've recently joined TikTok on a business kind of marketing grounds. On it's it's a social media platform. I ought to be at least present on it, and it's some of the content is insanely good. Like the the level of skill that children are going to grow up with in terms of video editing because of TikTok, if it carries on, is going to be vastly superior. To, to what people that haven't used that as a platform are, are capable of doing because that's what it's all about. It's, it's building creativity and inspiring things, but it's also got people being ridiculously stupid on there and uh, effing and blinding, which is the reason why our youngest is not going on there anytime soon <laughs> because there's not, there's not the filter. And it's something that I didn't really have any kind of clue about until I actually went on there and looked for myself. Um, although I would advise against that because I think mm. I'm mildly addicted to it now. Mm. It's too easy to go down the rabbit hole and then discover it's yeah. been half an hour and you've been watching videos. Yeah, one of our uh, twin boys was talking about TikTok last night and uh, I didn't know he was on it, um, but he's he's nearly 18 and it's his own choice. But he uh, freely admitted that it's, uh, it is a rabbit hole and with his A-levels coming up, it's not one that he wants to really get involved in because he knows that 30 minutes becomes, two hours becomes... Um, a lot of revision missed if he gets involved too much. Yeah, and so he well, made the, the wise choice and deleted it, which oh, wow. we're very proud of, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow, I was about to say that the wise choice then would be to delete it. And this is my son, my middle son, um, was mad about football and from the age of about six was playing in, in various teams. And then he got to 15 and he made an incredible decision and he said to me, um, Dad, I'm stopping playing football now for, for teams and all that. I said, well, why is that? He said, well, I want to focus on getting ready for my exams because I want to go to, you know, do A-levels and I want to go to university. So I am quitting football. I'm still, you know, I have a kick about with my mates every now and again, but I'm not playing football on teams because it takes too much time. And I was incredibly surprised that somebody of that age could make such an important wise decision i mean a lot of the time we don't give our kids credit for having the the head on their shoulders that they clearly do mm. it is true it's it's just too easy to forget when you see some of the daft things that they do actually they are practically adults now ours are certainly and um and as such then you need to give them the freedom to make those decisions for themselves because they've got to learn whether they make the right decision or not so long as you guide them away from the really dangerous bad decisions, it's an important part of growing up, isn't it? Learning to uh, to make those choices and, and deal with the consequences. Mm. Well, absolutely. You can't dress your kids up in cotton wool because as soon as they're old enough to, to leave the house kind of thing, they're not going to know what the world is like. And the world is a, is a fun, brilliant, amazing place to be, but it does have its downsides. And if you don't get kids out into the world, they won't know that. It's like the internet. The internet has dark places, but if the kids don't understand it does, then they, like you say, they can get hooked down a, a rabbit hole that they don't understand. It's like a lot of young girls and young boys actually have been made to do certain things in front of a camera, which they are going to regret because, in my view, they didn't understand the dangers. 
that nobody talks to them about it, you know, about the potential that taking your clothes off and having a picture taken can have repercussions for a long, long time to come. Yet somebody has persuaded them, whether it was somebody who was grooming them, whether it was a, a friend challenging them, like it was happening a couple of years ago. We need to, yes, let kids make their own mistakes, but at the same time, make them understand that there are some very dark holes which you can go down but they need to be aware of them wrapping them up in cotton wool takes away that awareness yeah it's uh, it's worth having the difficult conversations rather than glossing past them because otherwise they could become significantly more difficult conversations later on well yeah. so you think it's i don't actually think they're difficult conversations we're talking about um Let's using the driving analogy again. I told my kids that when they started learning to drive and everything, the one thing you will not do is you will not drink and drive at all. And I explained about the fact that, you know, just having one pint, although it's legal, can still impact your ability to respond to things and all the rest of it. And only one of my kids drives at the minute and he he doesn't drink at all in fact he makes himself a designated driver whenever him and his mates go out and i'm immensely proud of that but we had the conversation it wasn't difficult it was the important one and you know i had the conversation when they first got phones i was against them having phones so young but i lost the battle so rather than sort of shun it i said right okay you got the phones these are things you need to be aware of and don't be stupid and i gave them some examples of what being stupid was and you know as far as i'm aware they followed that and haven't done anything stupid yeah we've there have been various things where i don't know something's come up on the the tv or whatever and and with our 11 year old i've had conversations about things that i to be honest would rather not have discussed with her at the age of 11 but she has always throughout any of these discussions been incredibly mature about it and just you know asked the sensible questions and gone oh that's a bit stupid then why would someone do that and and you know we move on and so i'd built it up to be goodness i can't possibly talk to her about xyz but it wasn't when you started not such a challenging thing after all it's uh, it's just getting over that initial fear of i don't know if it, is it embarrassing mm. as a parent that the feeling of needing to discuss those things i don't know what the feeling is specifically it could well be embarrassment you know that i really don't want to talk about sex i really don't want to talk about drugs i really talk about getting drunk and all the other things that we need to talk about but when you have the conversation it just becomes a con particularly if you approach it as just a conversation the kid the, the child will go yeah i know and almost like you don't need to actually have the conversation because they've thought about it themselves already and they are aware of things yeah and if they do ask a question it's a straightforward uh, non-emotional question where they want a straightforward non-emotional answer and you can both move on but as you say emily it's, it's important to have the conversations and the sooner you have them the easier it is to be honest but then you don't have this build-up of your own pressure oh i don't really want to talk about this i don't really want to talk about this i don't really want to talk about this i'll think about it tomorrow I'll do it tomorrow so we procrastinate and then what was a, a small two-minute conversation in your head builds up to this four-week diatribe you have to sit your child down tie him to the chair and talk at them <laughs> yep which it never has to be no, it's the same principle as going back to revision. If you put off writing up your notes, for example, 
for months and months because you don't really want to start the revision process because it feels like it's going to be scary then the longer you put it off for the worse it then becomes when you do start because you've got so much catching up to do it's just do it get it over with rip off the plaster yeah absolutely um one other thing that is worth suggesting which we both sort of talked about is explaining the value to your child of removing distractions so for example deleting apps um quitting certain activities that are too time consuming when we're in kind of like approaching the critical phase of revision and a lot of the times a child will make that decision themselves but it's worth again having a non-nagging discussion to discuss about well do you really think it's a good idea to be going and doing this activity three times a week because we need to be doing some revision four nights a week for example yeah and i don't That's want you getting thing. tired and frustrated and all the rest of it and again the earlier you do this even if your children aren't teenagers yet but they're doing uh what's it called the 11 plus or similar yeah a lot of revision involved in that if you can have these kind of conversations very early on it becomes the norm rather than sort of not talking about it for whole of their life and then a year before they start uh, sitting for gcses you bring out all these new rules and strategies and such like you know it becomes like oh it's a bit odd it's a bit weird but if we can start young or as young as possible it becomes the norm so when it comes to exam time we we shut down this we don't do that and we focus on the other yeah uh, right well i think that is us about out of time so unless you have any further gems to share with us i'm then... full of gems <laughs> <laughs> and obviously once we uh, stop the recording we will be asking about your favorite put down to hecklers but i think we might do that off the tape <laughs> yeah not a problem i think the, the the one thing to to understand is there is no perfect way to do this you know you we talked about driving you need a driver's license you need to take lessons and pass a test to drive a car you need if you want to be a pilot you've got to go through some serious stuff and then exams and whatever there isn't any of this there isn't a book that you're given when you become a parent that says this is the perfect way to be the perfect parent so we're all kind of making it up as we go along. And the only thing I can suggest is, is do the best you can. Don't punish yourself. If you make a mistake or your child makes a mistake, it's nobody's fault. We, we, all we can do in our lives is the best we can. That's why I don't like the word try. Because to me, the word try is, well, yeah, I'll give it a go. I'll give it 50% effort. Because if it doesn't work, I can go, well, I tried, but. Whereas if you do the best you can, you're committing, committed to doing the best you can. And that means having the conversation. That means sitting down and admitting to your child that it's, this homework is gobbledygook to you, but together we can figure it out. It's, you know, it's, it's just doing your best with your child, with your family. That's all anybody can ask for. And yes, you will muck it up every now and again, because that's what life's about. Amen. Honestly, could not put <laughs> Here that end any of the lesson. <laughs> Thank you ever so much for your time My today. Pleasure. Thank you very much for being up with us. If you'd like to know more about how you can support your child through their GCSEs, then head over to parentguide to gcse.com. See you next time. <laughs>